Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Such is his devotion to both the category and its signature base spirit, it's easy to forget that Brian Miller had already worked in some of New York's most iconic and influential cocktail bars before falling head over heels about tiki and rum. In that space and genre, though, he ranks among just a handful of bartenders who've come up with what we might consider a modern classic. And he's certainly the only one, that I know of at least, who's done so using a base of gin rather than rum. Perhaps that classic cocktail training having an influence there? And actually, you can make that three or four gins, depending on which version of today's drink you're making. The Winchester, three gins, and Double Barrel Winchester, four, represent Miller's attempt to riff on the zombie, which was no small undertaking given that cocktail's complex makeup and lengthy list of ingredients. If you want more Brian time, and quite frankly, who doesn't, be sure to check out his previous appearances on this podcast, where we covered the Mai Tai and Dark and Stormy. But today, we're focusing on concept drinks, the Mr. Potato Head formula, and what life would be like should you decide to become the elderflower guy. It's the anatomy of a tiki modern classic, and it's all right here on the Cocktail College Podcast. All right, we're going to do this. We're kicking it off. It's goddamn freezing here in New York. It's raining. I can feel the cold to my bones. There's basically nothing to look forward to for the next six to eight months. And on top of that, for today's guest, we haven't even reached the end of September at the time of recording, and the Cowboys season is already over. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Miller, welcome back to the show. Commiserations, my friend. Give us something to look forward to here. Give us something to smile about today, because it feels kind of drab here in the city. I think the four days of rain is supposed to stop <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to. Uh, I'm looking forward to open-toed shoes, less clothes. Yeah, I'm fucking miserable here. Sorry. It uh, is. It is. It was a rough time for you to 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 make a quick uh, return to the city. Yeah, here. I um, went from tanning to molding. I think I'm molding <laughs> now because of the rain. <laughs> but you know. Your loss is our gain here, sorry to say that, in that we are afforded <laughs> the opportunity to sit down with you once again. It's a three-peat the right re-reheat. here. The re-reheat. This is the, 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 the re-reheat, as they're calling it over there, our friends at the Rewatchables. But today, to discuss one of your own creations, which I think is pretty wonderful. I'm just going to read some quotes here that I have that I plucked off the interwebs. Wow, um, okay. The Winchester. This is all about the Winchester cocktail. We're also going to get into the double barrel Winchester later too. A lot for us to discuss. But the first and best cocktail of the 21st century to push the boundaries of classic tiki. That's Jeff Berry right there. Wow. A hell of a good drink. Martin Kate right there. <laughs> it's like Sleepless in Seattle. Brian Miller on his own creation, not afraid to talk up to talk up his own creation right there. Uh, I like to say maybe it's like Shaun of the Dead, and we'll get into that too. All of which, though, I want to say is very heady praise for a mix of Czech's notes, two ounces of Doctor Stoner's smoky herb whiskey, one ounce of Doctor McGillicuddy's apple pie, juice from half a lemon, and club soda. I never knew this combination would taste so good. Hmm. I have no idea what you're talking about. That is the recipe for the Winchester supplied by Maine Spirits, the exclusive wholesale supplier of liquor for the state of Maine. Oh. So 
Dr. McKillicuddy's apple pie, hey? No, what is it, Brian? Tell us. Tell us. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Maybe you want right. to reach I, out I like to me. I like pumpkin spice and Dr. McGillicuddy's whiskey, apple whiskey, peanut butter whiskey. What is it? I don't know. Apple, uh, just says Dr. McKillicuddy's apple pie. So God knows what that is. <laughs> Split blaze drink, though. So no, but seriously, we're, we're talking about someone the Winchester. in Kentucky just like died. <laughs> <laughs> killed over and died. It is, of course, though, a gin-based zombie. If we're talking about the uh, the the elevator pitch for this drink, right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I think that succinctly puts says what it is. It's a it's a gin zombie. It was just something that I wanted to do after you know bring, uh, figuring out the zombie, the 1934 zombie through uh, Bum's book. Um, it was time to start doing something of my own. Um, you know, I had done the, the, uh, the Gantz tomb and, uh, that was a pretty harrowing experience, you know, trying to serve a tiki, a, a new tiki drink to the dark and stirred crowd, uh, crowd at death and company. Um, the Gantz tomb would have been what? Gantz tomb was, uh, basically it was me, uh, kind of thumbing my nose at the, uh, at the whole, uh, Rittenhouse dark and stirred uh, crowd like mm-hmm. I I love Rittenhouse don't get me wrong even to this day I still love it but um, everybody was drinking dark and stirred at uh, death and company or whiskey and stirred at death and company and I was like okay cool I'm gonna take something that you all love and completely turn it on its head and make you love that too so it was it was Gosling's it was uh, Rittenhouse rye uh, I think like lemon, pineapple juice, um, and at the time I think the allspice dram that Eric mm. Seed had done, like that was relatively new. No one, we were all just getting acquainted with that. So I used like I think it was like a teaspoon or a half teaspoon or something mm-hmm. like that in the drink, um, and it was just fun. It was just whiskey, whiskey and rum, which is a great combination, uh, and allspice. You know, it's just putting three things together that just totally work, and then throwing some juice in it. Shake and drink that one. Shaken, yeah. And you had the, another the, one from the era, or maybe slightly later, that was a riff on an old fashioned, but with a name that wasn't. Um, I mean, I've I've done so many riffs. Oh, wait a minute, are you talking like not a tiki drink, but not, just a, yeah, the conference, the conference. That's it. Yeah, that one took off. I have no idea. I, I was really shocked how that drink took off because it was basically a drink that I just made for one of the servers at. Uh, at Death and Company, she was like, Brian, I want something brown and stirred. And I was like, okay, cool. I just threw, at that time, rum wasn't quite my favorite thing, but I just threw four of my favorite things together and then, hmm. uh, you know, did an old-fashioned riff. And it took a while to kind of, like, finally pull it all together. And honestly, it was. And thanks to Avery Glosser at Bitterman's, uh, it was his mole bitters that just pulled that whole drink together. Hmm. I mean, I tried so many different bitters. You know, whiskey barrel aged, all this other stuff, threw it together, and Avery uh, was always like, "Have you ever tried Bitterman's this or Bitterman's that?" And I was like, "Bitterman's was always the <laughs> the answer <laughs> to any question I would ask Avery." Um, but he was absolutely right in this point. Uh, yeah. So, is it? Would you say though, it's uh, if it's fair and safe to say that the Winchester remains maybe the drink that's most associated with yourself or maybe had the most legs it's certainly the one of yours that made it into robert simonson's modern classics and mm-hmm. uh, i i'm going off the top of my head here but i can't imagine there are too many other tiki drinks in that book um i don't know i i haven't seen the book um but uh i mean it, it is popular 
to a certain extent, as popular as something can be in a very small, small, small cocktail world. Um, I was kind of shocked, actually. Uh, one of my memories of the Winchester was uh, the very first time I went into Nomad when Leo Robichuk was running the place and he was the king of the hill there. I was, um, I went in and I sat down at the bar and just as I sat down, the bartender was delivering a drink to the person next to me and they were like, yeah, here's this drink. It's called the Winchester. And I was like, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> like I was, <laughs> I didn't say anything. I, I, I probably should have said a cheeky compliment. Like I hear that's fucking great. But um, <laughs> it, it, it was kind of amazing because I didn't know the bartender either. Um, so I was just kind of shocked. Like, how would you even know this drink? I mean, cause when, you know, I did the Gantz tomb and, and, and did the Winchester, um, you know, tiki was a joke at that point. Like nobody, nobody was really doing tiki. And yeah, what kind of era are we talking here? Can you set the scene a little bit this for us? Is and like, where would you be in your in your kind of career journey? And where were you working at the time? Like, give us the background here. I was. Uh, it was two thousand nine, uh, maybe two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, and I had just done my first consulting job uh, with Lynette Marrero. We were both. She brought me. She got this job. Uh, a mutual friend of ours was opening a restaurant called Elitaria and she got the job and she helped bring me in on that job. And um, the, it was, it was doing Indian food and we were going to do, uh, I, I was like, Oh, this would be great. Like rum, like rum goes, goes well with Indian food. And uh, let's, so let's do Tiki. And like Lynette and I just worked on a menu of Tiki drinks, bringing a lot of classic drinks in. And at that time, uh, Sip and Safari had just come out. And Beach Bomberry was quoted in the New York Times as you can't get a decent zombie in New York City. And I was like, well, F you, I'm going to like, let me do it. And, you know, having read his book, which to me is one of my all-time favorite books, um, you know, the recipe was right there, uh, there for the taking. And so I just, I worked on that and, uh, you know, we, we had what I thought was a pretty successful program there. And then, um, you know, the zombie became a, a, a very popular drink at that bar. And I was just thinking of like, what do I want to do next? And I was also at the time I was working with Angus Winchester with Tanqueray, you know, and Angus will probably forget more about gin than I will ever remember. So I was a pupil of his, uh, you know, for a couple of years, um, still very good friends with him. And, um, He's also like a huge tiki person. He helped uh, open up uh, Trailer Happiness in London. Mm, and he, yeah, amazing spot. Um, and he had given me like, he had heard I was like, I was like, I'm going to work on, you know, a gin version of a tiki drink. And um, he gave me two like black Easter Island uh, tiki mugs. And I was like, oh, cool. Okay, this is my inspiration. And I remember in the beginning, I was like, oh, I think Bowles Geneva was coming out or was out, you know, fresh on the market. And I was like, cool, let me try, let me try doing a gin drink with gin tiki drink with Bowles Geneva. And that was like running into a wall without a helmet. Like mm -hmm. that was really hard <laughs> to do <laughs> and very stupid of me. Um, but then I just, uh, things, just started to come into focus. I mean, you know, I was like the New York brand ambassador for Tanqueray at the time. And so 
I was having a lot of different experiences, like traveling the world and going to different places. And um, I I was also doing like Rob Cooper, uh, RIP Rob, uh, with St. Germain. He was doing, um, kind of sponsoring us at Death & Company, doing bartender exchanges. And so like Phil, I think, went out to San Francisco, was the first one. And, you know, the great prize from there was he ended up bringing Thomas Waugh back and then Thomas became part of Death & Company. And then uh, Joaquin went to Chicago and worked at the Violet Hour, and they were like, who wants to go to London? And I was like, I do. Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, you send me across the pond? Sure. And uh, I worked at, um, oh, man, I can't even remember the place. It was in, um, uh, it was in Notting Hill. Uh, Charles Vexnet was the bartender that got sent back for me. And I were, and when I stayed out there, I also stayed at the, uh, the Miller's gin house that was right there in London, which was amazing. It was like, honestly, it was like living in like the common room in Harry Potter. Like it was just like an old English house and it was incredible. And as like, every house is in the UK. That's yeah. Just, that's I think just so how I, we I, live over I, there. I, yeah. <laughs> that's why I love it so much. Um, <laughs> But uh, I fell in love with the Millish Westbourne strength, mm -hmm. and that kind of became kind of a centerpiece of that drink. Mm -hmm. It's like even going from the uh, from the Winchester to the double barreled Winchester, the uh, the Millish Westbourne strength has remained it's the, 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 it's the, 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 com the common staple. Yeah, um, and just for folks there for reference, you know those those names mentioned: Phil Ward uh, would have been, and, and Joaquin Simo. Uh, both have been guests on the show. You can look them up. I think we had Phil on for the Division Bell. Yeah. I know that, actually, and uh, Joaquin on for the Sidecar. And I need to get Joaquin back, actually. It's been a little while since I've seen that guy. So you're over there in London um, with Saint Germain. I want to talk about that ingredient in a little bit, actually. But then you encounter these other products. You know, you're doing some work with Tanqueray. Uh, you encounter Martin... Martin Miller's? Martin Miller's Westbourne Strength. Martin yeah. Miller's Westbourne Strength. Yeah, I was just uh, yeah, questioning <laughs> myself on the first name there. Uh, and then I guess final, because there's a trio of gins in this, much as like your, you know, your rum kind of uh, ethos, tiki ethos. What, what, what one, one rum can't do, three rums can't. And yeah. now we're, yeah, we're applying it for, for gin. And I see you went with Heyman's Old Tom gin there. So, you know, Old Tom can be this weird kind of spectrum of styles. It can be sweeter. It can be sometimes have barrel age, right? Other times not. Saffron notes. Stuff definitely like a lot, definitely a lot easier to use though than, than Jennifer, um, yeah. and balls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the, at, at the time, uh, Hayden's was like the only one on the market, um, when I did it. So, I mean, that's like a lot of the things that, that, um, you know, people look at the, the drinks perhaps in the death and company book and it's like, they're based on what we had at the time. Got you know, it. it is it is in a time capsule. It's like cool. This is what I think it says in that book. That's like Brian Miller's favorite room to make a daiquiri is Florida Kanye. I was like, yeah, Kanye Bravo wasn't out yet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> at least when no such thing as probitas back then. Yeah, there was none of that stuff was there. So you know, take all that with a grain of salt, people. Oh, interesting. So we're going to get into the recipe in a bit. There is, it, it is a lot of ingredients there. Uh, I'm actually, let me, I'm just going to run through them here just so that folks have them as a reference before we, you know, take the conversation in different directions. It's going to be lime juice, grapefruit juice, grenadine, ginger syrup, Saint-Germain, Angostura bitters, 
Westbourne, uh, Miller's Westbourne Strength Gin, Heyman's Old Tom Gin, and Tanqueray. That's nine. Nine ingredients. That's pretty good, man. Usually, you know, people make fun of me for the 12 ingredient drinks. <laughs> nine. This is like training wheels for people. Yeah, this is easy. And then the double barrel, as you mentioned or alluded to earlier. That uh, yeah, more we, complicated. We, yeah, we mix with the spec a little and also we're adding one extra gin, so four gins in total. Yep. And only the Westbourne strength is what remains when we actually get into the recipe and the, the you know the instruction section allow you to choose which of those two you kind of want to run with so jumping back to 2009 you know this that's where you get the inspiration for the drink on your travels you find new ingredients uh, why don't you fast forward until you put this on the menu and like initial reception of it as a drink or maybe just the process of of workshopping it once you have this idea in your mind that you're going to do that uh, i mean it was I think somebody asked me once, like, it was it a concept drink? And I was like, I honestly don't know what you mean by that. But it, 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 I was using kind of like, you know, having worked with Phil for so long, you know, Mr. Potato Head was a, mm-hmm. was a real thing. And so this was kind of like, oh, well, let me Mr. Potato Head the zombie. And so that's what I did. I was like, okay, cool. Let's try gin. Cause, you know, gin from my time at Pegu Club and like even through Death and Company, it was like, the crowd loved Rittenhouse and gin. Like those were those 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 were really mm-hmm. big ingredients back then. So Manhattan was, Martini, right? yeah, and I, everything and, from and, that. and, and every variant yeah. that you can come up with. And uh, then I was like, okay, let's let's do gin and trying to figure out the gins. And I wanted to, you know, I use the the old Tom is like a softening agent because it's, you know, old Tom gin is, is, is a touch sweet. And I think when it came out, like people, they liked it. Um, you know, there were some obvious, you know, cocktail nerds, stuff like that. It's a touch sweet. And it's like, anytime that happens, I will kind of like go back to the drawing board and like look at it and maybe do some tweaks. I do. I, I, I've done a lot of tweaks with Joaquin when, uh, you know, cause we worked a lot together as well. Um, you know, and Joaquin was just like, Brian, just relax. The drink's great. You don't need to change it. Um, you know, and sometimes a drink can be just a touch sweet and it doesn't matter if you draw it back a half teaspoon or a quarter of an ounce or something like that. It just, it, it doesn't work. You know, sometimes it just needs, it's just going to be a touch sweet and that's not going to be sweet for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know sweet is a relative (laughs) term. Um, also, you know, just for the tiki category of drinks too, like oftentimes, I believe the the original version you were doing shaken with three cold draft cubes and then into, you know, whatever serving vessel topped with crushed ice. You have to remember as well that this is a category of drinks where you're probably going to get dilution over time. They're strong drinks. You might take your time drinking them. So if someone takes the first sip and goes, oh, it's a bit sweet. Well, that's better than taking the first sip and going, it's perfect. And then halfway through the drink, you're like, where's the rest of it? It's diluted. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's going to develop and blossom over time. Um, you know, but I mean, at that time, it was like, this was a drink that had three ounces of gin in it. And no <laughs> one said, oh, my God, this is too strong. They're, 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 sometimes their problems were like, oh, it was a touch sweet. And I mean, that's, that's something I can kind of hang my hat on is like, cool, I can put three to four ounces of booze in a cocktail and somebody's like, okay, like, <laughs> they're cool with it. I'm like, yeah, cool. Now stand up. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. A, th- a three ounce base spirit cocktail, just a half ounce shy of how I uh, 
approach my <laughs> martinis. <laughs> yeah, your no, martinis a, are a swimming pool of gin. <laughs> it's the proprietary <laughs> with, creation. With Do not share that. a splash of vermouth in it. <laughs> Do not. People will take that literally and they'll think I'm, you know, blasphemous here. Um, why the zombie then? Like, why is that? Why not a just, I mean, this is maybe purely arbitrary question, but why not a gin-based Mai Tai? Why did that feel like such good fodder for maybe oh, this new approach man like once once i got the 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 recipe for the zombie from bum's book and and sip and safari um it was like it was like giving is like i'm a dog and you gave me a chew toy like i was just super excited to have that drink and especially you know with its history of like you're only allowed to have two and you can't have more yeah and, you know as a bartender you always want to test that theory um which i did with thomas Waugh and Two is probably a good place to stop. Three is <laughs> three's not bad. Four, things happen that you can't talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I just, I, I loved playing around with the zombie. And at the time, it was also like St. Germain was, uh, you know, for us at Death & Company, as Phil so eloquently put, uh, was like our catch-up behind the bar. So, um, and Rob is a very dear friend of mine, and I really love St. Germain. Um I uh, I just wanted to include that in it also just to kind of show some respect to Rob for everything that he had done for me in my career. I was like, cool, I'm going to do this drink, you know, with with him in mind. Um, and certainly when I put it, when I did the double barrel uh, and put that on the menu at, at, at the Polynesia, and that was like my ode to Rob to always keep his memory alive uh, no matter where I'm at. Um, if I can also ask you at this point too, because we had Aaron Reese on the show recently, also a former head bartender there at Death & Co. And we were talking about like certain brands that did a lot to try and immerse themselves in the bartending community at the time. And then you see like those brands being used a lot in recipes, right? So, you know, uh, I and I'm completely forgetting the ones that we did mention, ah, Laird's being one of them, like seemed like there was a lot of presence of people trying to put layered drinks on the menu and Carpano Antico was another one. I don't know how much they did, but people like really seemed to love it from that era. Um, yeah. I, I mean, there were a lot of brands that came in and, and like, what do you guys think? You know, cause um, we were the new kids on the block. We were the hot shots and, and uh, you know, I think at the time it may be a little bit too much, you know, but you look back at it and it's like, dude, we had, Thomas Waugh, we had Phil Ward, we had uh, Joaquin Simo, Damon Dyer, Alex Day. Um, you know, we had a lot of really good bartenders come through there. But uh, yeah, we were, I mean, at Death & Company, we were very, like, we had certain products. And, mm -hmm. there, and there were there were times when, uh, you know, we butted heads with Dave and we were like, are you freaking kidding me? No, we're not carrying, you know, it feels like we're not carrying this. Like, this is garbage. <laughs> like, we're not carrying this. Wait, and was Death & Co. pre-Winchester for you? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. The, the, the idea came when I was at Elitaria, and I was working on it, and I did some work at Death & Company, but it's not, it wasn't a Death & Company drink. It was God. almost like... It kind of fell between the cracks. It was like I. It, it didn't go on a menu until it was until it was Death and Company. But I was making it at Elitaria, and it wasn't on the menu. It was just something that I just had. And then when I busted it out a couple of times at Death and Company, they're like, "What the hell is this?" Oh wait, so your progression goes Pegu Club. Oh, not not all of the bars you've worked at, but you go Pegu Club, then Elitaria. 
No, no. it was it was Pegu Club, <laughs> an embarrassment of riches. I went from Pegu Club to Death and Company, mm. um, and Elitaria was like my first when everybody was like doing consulting and stuff like that, or had been doing consulting for years. I like finally dipped my toe in the water, and then I think I remember shortly after that. Evan Freeman was like, consulting is dead. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm, I'm glad I got to swim in the pool at least once. And you got to wet your beak. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's, that. I mean, that's the first and only consulting I've ever done. And um, God. I don't know that I would ever do it again. So, you know, like I mentioned, there's a lot of ingredients for us to get through before we do the recipe as well. Like there's a couple that I want to hone in on. But before we do that, which which version do you want us to choose, the Winchester or the double barrel Winchester? We can publish the recipe for both for folks in the description, but which is the one that you would want to discuss? Maybe... I don't know. Do you want to Christopher Nolan this and we'll just go back and forth and uh, <laughs> juxtaposition and jump between <laughs> yeah. times? And, sure, that's why. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I I think both are good drinks. It it was kind of interesting last night. It was, I was trying to get ready for this interview. Um it's ten years. They're ten years apart. They're ten years apart. Yeah. It's two thousand nine for the for the Winchester, and I put the double barrel on at uh, Polynesian. Polynesian, which was twenty nineteen. Um, all right, I'm going to say double barrel for now. And yeah, then, and we're I mean, jump, I, I, jump I prefer. I, I think the double barrel is a better version of it. I think it's mm-hmm. not. You know, it's not a uniform that adds black to it. And mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's cool. It's like, no, I think this is actually a better drink. What about the name? Before we get into that, though, because there's, there's <laughs> you know, some somewhat kind of serendipitous uh, connection here that didn't exist. Sure, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's how stupid I am. Um, I I named it after Angus um, because he had been such an inspirational and kind person in my life. Um, and I wouldn't really know as much about Jen, uh, know what I know about Jen uh, without Angus. Um, but then it was like years, I think it was like a year later or something like that. I was at uh, Prime Meats and uh, where Damon Bolte was 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 holding court. And uh, he's like, dude, Brian, I think it's like so cool that you named the Winchester after the bar and Shaun of the Dead. And I was like, yeah, man, that's cool. <laughs> and honestly, I don't think I had seen Shaun of the Dead um, at that time, which I know is a crime. Uh, I own it now and watch it a lot. Um, but yeah, the Winchester Bar. And in, in fact, actually today, because of this interview, I was like looking on Tee Public. I'm like, oh, let me get a Winchester shirt. This would be kind of cool. There are, there are, there are Winchester <laughs> shirts on Tee Public. That um, would be cool. Of course, there's a famous iconic line takes place in the Winchester. I don't know whether we need to bring it up here today. All right, so just looking through the list here, lime juice, I don't think we need to cover anymore. We've got hours and hours of lime juice content here on Cocktail College. <laughs> Somebody far more qualified can <laughs> go in-depth in about that. Uh, grapefruit juice, I'm assuming you're just using fresh grapefruit. Are we yeah. doing any acid adjusting? No. I just think that's I, it's way here. above my, my head. Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, that, that combination was always uh, a Don the Beachcomber thing. Mm-hmm. Like Don always mixed uh, grapefruit and lime together. Grapefruit and lime. All right, I'm 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 jumping one for a second here. You have ginger syrup. Uh, is, would that be the same ginger syrup, Richie Bacato, milk and honey inspired that we yes. mentioned in our dark and stomach recipe? Yeah, yeah. Episode. Milk and honey, Richie, best ginger syrup I've ever had, yeah. Fantastic. So if people want to learn more about that ginger syrup, they can head over to our previous recording, The Dark and Stormy. All right, now we're getting into the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the red zone here. We're starting to get into... <laughs> <laughs> Grenadine. We've had many different takes on this podcast. Give us your take. What's your approach to grenadine? Uh, mine's the best. 
honestly, I mean, the one thing that I can, you know, speak with confidence about is like, I think the recipe that I use is, is one of the best. And I took uh, a combination of a recipe I got from Alan Katz at New York Distilling Company and uh, a recipe I got from Toby Maloney. Um, it's really not that much different than Toby's uh, original uh, recipe. He just called for palm and I hate palm. But after being in St. Lucia for seven months, uh, palm's okay. <laughs> um, but I prefer like natural uh, pomegranate juice. Um, and then it's mixed with uh, like turbinado sugar or sugar in the raw, um, pomegranate molasses and uh, orange twists. And it's it's really good. I remember, you know, Thomas Waugh and I played with it a little bit at, uh, at ZZ's. I think he preferred less of the orange twists in it, but I actually liked the brightness of the orange twist. So I think he used three twists and I used four in our recipe. And are you heating that up to dissolve everything? Are you cooking it a little? What's it's, the process yeah, look like? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the pomegranate recipes, or excuse me, uh, grenadine recipes at the time was like, reduce, let's reduce it down. And I was like, well, how do you know when you're done reducing? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of an idiot in that, that vein. Um, but I was like, uh, the recipes I got from Alan and Toby was basically just like, cook it until the sugar's gone. That I get. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and because I didn't want a cooked flavor. I didn't want it to feel like it was cooked. I wanted it to be bright and juicy and fruity. Um, so I just, once the sugar was melted, uh, boom, take it off, uh, let it sit, you know, start to cool off. Then I added pomegranate molasses and, um, and the orange twist. Stir it up. And it's great. And it works. It works on, you know, every... Every cocktail that calls for grenadine, it works really well. It really does. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people will use like orange blossom water, and I just think that's too flowery and too perfumey and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. um, save that you know, for your Ramos. It's, yeah, it's not really my recipe. It's Toby and Alan's. I just kind of like merge them together, tweaked you know? it. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about it if it wasn't for those two. So fitting that Alan would be in there. We'll all, get into all, that in a little. All praise little goes while. to Toby and Alan. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So grenadine takeaway from that homemade but also i've heard some people doing this recently i think they're idiots don't go whacking fresh pomegranates and seeds and trying to cook fresh pomegranate seeds and juicing pomegranates i know some people who do that and they're like it's worth the extra effort no it's not i've never done it so i can't really say but does does that work for grenadine i have no yeah, idea i don't know i don't think you know like like you said there's a lot of quality ingredients out there where you're still making it yourself but cool you do that i will support you like i don't want to take the time and have to make that it just uh, this conversation makes me think of like uh janine garofalo and the cable guy when the guy's like oh do you have any pepsi no this is medieval times therefore there was no pepsi in medieval times he's like but they had silverware, you know? And she's like, dude, I got tables. <laughs> like, that's sometimes how I yeah. feel in that discussion of, should I juice fresh pomegranate? Let's, I got to make drinks, dude. I don't have time for this. <laughs> Let's move swiftly on then. Um, St. Germain or San Germain, if you will. St. German. What do you want to say about that? What do you want to, just talk to us for a moment about, you, you mentioned why they, you know, just such a bunch of great people behind it that you guys wanted to support. Why does it feel like people are treating that ingredient as somewhat passe these days? Because I think it's, I think it holds up, and in the right scenario, it's delicious. I, I, I think it's, it's unparalleled. Um, I remember Phil describing it as 
<laughs> probably the best compliment you could give St. Germain was he was like, this is the modern day chartreuse, which I thought was like huge. Like, and I think Phil meant, it meant every word of it. Um, we used it a lot and it, it's a very versatile ingredient. Um, you know, Rob was just so super supportive of all of us, especially at Death and Company. He was so nice to us there. And like everything about that brand just made you want to be, you you wanted to champion mm-hmm. it. I mean, Rob had gone and and um, he had talked to a lot of people. I think Jim Meehan was the first person that he asked. But uh, they asked him to be a brand ambassador and I think he turned it down. And then I think Maddie Gee uh, was somebody that, that they approached. And then they came to me and Maddie was like, Brian, do you really want to be known as the elderflower guy? Uh, in hindsight, yes, I do want to be known as the other power guy. <laughs> um, Instead, you became the rum guy. The yeah, tiki guy. I, I became the rum guy. But um, and it's great. It's it's elderflower liqueur, and other people have tried to. Oh, it's elderflower syrup or this and that. No, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Like there's, you know, Rob put a lot of thought into every single aspect of that brand. You know, from the, you know, mostly from the flavor of the product itself, mm-hmm. but like the design of the bottle, which is friggin' dope. I, it's, it, it's my olive oil bottle. If anything, know? it's a little tall for a home bar. Uh, if you're putting your stuff on shelves, Speaking like as I a am. short person, sure. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, great people behind it. Um, delicious product. What's it bring into this drink though? Like, or what happens to the Winchester, a double barrel Winchester, if you take that out? Or what what role is it playing through the lens of the classical zombie? Or is it not? It's it's an addition that speaks to that time period of what you were using and what you loved at the time. Like with rum, you know, in particular talking with the zombie, uh, you know, you have Don's mix in it. You have uh so there's that cinnamon aspect that's in Don's mix. And you know, baking spices and rum are just like a perfect marriage, no matter if it's allspice or nutmeg or anything like that. Like, that really works. Whereas gin is more of a floral thing. Love it. Yeah. And so um, perhaps, I don't know, just thinking off the cuff here, perhaps St. Germain was my Don's, yeah. was my, my Don's mix. And that mixed with the grenadine that I make with the orange notes in the grenadine, like it just kind of worked together, the St. Germain mm-hmm. and the, uh, and the grenadine. Um, I like that. You know, this with is the forming gins. for me. Yeah. It's like baking spices, rum, floral aspect gin, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and and this of course would have been a time before we had the endless list of these gins that actually try to taste floral, right? Like, Nolitz. That thing doesn't taste like gin. You can argue whether you want to drink it or not. I think it makes a wonderful, like, with, with soda. It's very refreshing in summer, but... I think it makes a wonderful soap. <laughs> it's, it does taste like Turkish Delight. It has a lot of rose petals in there. But all of which is to say this is pre-New Western or New American style gins. This was when gin was... Gin was London Dry, Plymouth, which basically the same thing. In any bar, it was Tanqueray, it was Plymouth, it was Beefeater. Those Mm. were the big three. You know, they were the, the, you know. Maybe Gordon's. Yeah. What do they call the big big three in the auto industry? You know, they were the big three of the gin industry. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what San Germain's bringing to the party. Angostura bitters is, you know, it's seasoning. Bitters bitters are the shoelaces of cocktails. Like it, it ties everything together. Brings everything together. 
I'm going to jump now into the double barrel Winchester because we see our um, choices change. So, as we said before, uh, Miller's Westbourne strength gin stays the same. It's the only through, well, it's the, the only, from the spirit side of things, the only through line for the two drinks. Next, I'm going to go, you change from Tanqueray to Monkey 47. I'm going to call that an interesting choice. <laughs> Tell me the thinking there, because not only are you upping the cost of this cocktail significantly. Absolutely. Uh, what's Monkey 47 bringing to the party that Tanqueray can't do? I had a good stretch in my career where I was really spoiled. Um, I was really given the keys to the asylum, and uh, I could do anything I wanted. Um, and so that carried into the Polynesian. And part of that is like, for me, it's always been about putting the best product across the bar. Like, I don't care what the, I, I mean, I, I do care what the cost is, but like, I really just want to put a quality thing across the bar. You know, at the time I love Tanqueray, but, uh, you know, I had a good friendship with, um, Lacey, uh, uh, who used to work at Clover Club, uh, mm. Lacey Hawkins. But she was like the brand ambassador at uh, Monkey 47. And she was really like, she was doing great classes that were very educational about, you know, the process that Monkey 47 goes through to make their gin. And I just, uh, uh, honestly, I kind of wanted to support her. And she was very nice. And I, I, I think she either like helped me get a discount on it or... I think she played a role in, I mean, remember Monkey 47 was like a 375 and it was ridiculous. And like, I think more than most 750 bottles of gin. Yeah. And I think she really like kind of got the brand to come around and be like, dude, if you want to be behind bars and you want to be used in more cocktails, like you need the, the one liter bottle or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's a delicious gin. There's, you know, uh, it, it's great. It's a it's a London style gin that maybe just has a little bit more. Forty seven botanicals, right? I think it's got some classic, you know, made in the Black Forest in Germany. Uh, I want to say that each of them are kind of infused or distilled in like sous vide bags separately, or infused whatever, it's like a, then brought together. It's it's a fantastic. Product. It's a good product. Mm -hmm. It's a really good product, it and there were good pricey. people. And like you know, sometimes you just want to support your friends. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the drink started based on my friendship with Angus. Um, you know, so uh, I moved on, and I, I, God, I hope it didn't hurt Angus's feelings that I moved on to. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that's the first thing that I see there because the Tanqueray bottle at Smuggler's Cove that has Angus's image on it. Probably, <laughs> I don't know if they moved it to uh, the Monkey Forty Seven bottle, but uh, that was always a nice thing hmm. at Smuggler's Cove. Well, I appreciate that about Martin. Here's the other thing as well about the you know Monkey Forty Seven. Uh, curious to hear whether this was the case in 2019, but I think it is at this point among consumers that know things about drinks but maybe they're not like actual nerds or they don't work in the industry it is the one gin where you can point to it and you can be like all right that's why this cocktail costs more like people know monkey 47 is more expensive and people who don't geek out about things generally equate price with quality and not that it's a bad gin but i think that that's the one i think it's the one gin out there that people would consider like super premium yeah you know without using the godforsaken marketing term of super premium um it's just a it's a quality product and it's a product that takes some time and effort 
to create. And that costs money. Look at Mezcal. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do a really good Mezcal, it takes time and money. And, um, you know, you should pay for that. I, I have no problem with it. Um, you know, it also just kind of makes it special. It's like, mm-hmm. eh, you know, tonight's a good night. Yeah, I think I'll have a martini with uh, a Monkey, Monkey 47, 47, you know. Um, it's a delicious product. And, you know, I, I I do think it's really important, too, to, like, help your friends that take brand ambassador jobs. I don't mm-hmm. think that, like, you should be dedicated to them because they will change brands yeah. very quickly <laughs> based on money, which I don't blame them for either. But, like, for certain people that have, like, been with brands for a very long period of time, you know, and Lacey was always really nice to me. Mm-hmm. And when things just, it just kind of ended up being a little bit of a perfect storm. Like, we had larger bottles. Um, you know, we, uh, uh, the price went down, I think, a little bit. And it just became more accessible. And I was like, cool, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, also... <laughs> You know, I'm batching, you know, I'm not, it's not a four bottle pickup just of the gin. I was batching all the gin. So hmm. thank you for not giving me, you know, oh, yeah. the, all the 375s you had. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, at least I, I, I had liter bottles. So that was good. And then I'm going to look here now at the old Tom gin. You changed from Heyman's old Tom. You said before it's basically the only old Tom that was around at the time. Yep. To Greenhook Gin Smith. Uh, Brooklyn Brace brand, nice people, make a wonderful American dry style that's basically like a London dry with a little twist, you know, not not literally. Um, What's the thinking then? Is that, again, just more like supporting local? It was what you liked at the time and... Yeah. It was, I, I, I was looking for something a little different. Honestly, it's more like, oh, Brian likes Florida Kanye and his daiquiris. Yeah, Kanye Bravo wasn't around yet. I liked Heyman's as an old Tom Gin, but Greensmith wasn't around then Mm -hmm. and i remember i was as i was playing around with the drink i was just thinking like what else is out there as far as old tom gin is concerned and uh i think i was at um uh grand army and damon was working one night and damon damon bolte just he was like oh brian you should try this it's really good and i was like wow this really is good like it was great i was like okay cool Mm -hmm. i mean you know with any cocktail, it, it takes a village, you know. There's a bunch of people that are always involved, you know. Some mm-hmm. think that their part isn't that big, but it actually is. You know? mm-hmm. And then finally, we add a gin here. Another Brooklyn gin. Yeah. Alan Katz, responsible for having some input in our Grenadine, his Perry's Tot gin, which, if I'm looking at the spec now, okay, you're using half an ounce of that, and you're using half an ounce of the told, old Tom, and then yep. an ounce each of the others. That make that that even creeps up the ABV of this cocktail even more, right? Because Perry's yeah. Tot is a Navy strength gin. Yeah, <laughs> Perry's Tot is a Navy strength gin. And I mean, when I was putting together the menu at the Polynesian, it was just like bigger, bolder, stronger. Like we just want <laughs> we want drinks that were like very bold, very strong, but they didn't taste that way. It just kind of like the liquor would sneak up on you. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, with the specs, you adjust. I think it's like we lower the St. Germain and we bump up the ginger on the double barrel. Yep. And I think that's that's because higher proof spirits have effects on other ingredients that are in a cocktail. Um, hmm. It was one of the things that I learned from Avery Glosser very early on when I was playing around actually with the, uh, the Gantz tomb was that he mm-hmm. was like, in that particular instance, he was like, add a teaspoon or add a little bit of, at the time it was Lemon Heart 151, to that drink. And that will boost 
the flavors of everything else in the drink, kind of like vodka al penne. By adding vodka to it, it brings all the flavors together. And so that became a thing. I think Kelvin had said it in a previous uh, podcast. You know, it was like, ah, Miller just adds 151 to everything. I do. I don't deny that. I stand up. <laughs> I, I stand 100% behind that comment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was using overproof gin in the same way, like trying to bring bring that up. And that kind of helped bring out the ginger a little bit more and the St. Germain so I could drop it. So St. Germain wasn't quite so overwhelming. Hmm. So, um, yeah. And then it just... and. <laughs> It just rolled off the tongue. It was like double barrel Winchester. Like, you know, <laughs> cool. All right, great. That's it. It's high proof. It's double barrel. Six total ounces of ingredients in this drink. Liquid with a dash of mango as well. I love it. I don't know. I mean, this is, you know. What are you saying? Neither one of us are costing this cocktail right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a home bartender, screw it. <laughs> All right. Look, we're going to get into the, the directions here. But before we do, mentioned earlier, three cold draft cubes shaken then when you put this on the menu, I open the open the Polynesian with this on the menu. Yep. You then opt for a measure of crushed ice and you blend it. Is that purely because you had those blenders there? This is a tiki bar, so you, you approached it, you made that into the design. Yes, time had shown that I could now have, I was doing a tiki bar, I could now have Hamilton Beaches behind the bar. Um And through a lot of like trial and error, uh, some nights with Adam Kolasar of uh, Orjot Works, you know, Adam had an old classic one at his house and we would have nights of going over there with all the other tiki addicts. Uh, We'd go over to Brooklyn and Adam's, you know, um, Airstream trailer bar and we would we would play around. We would actually like it's an evening of having drinks with friends, but we were doing R and D. Like they, Adam was like, "Hey, let's do the Winchester. I'll do it in the uh, in the Hamilton Beach, and you shake it. Let's let's see how it, you know." And and the Hamilton Beach did taste better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and some sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's negligible. So it's like. I, you know, I leave it up to my bartenders. Cool. You want to save your arms? Great. Use the blender if you want to shake and impress a girl cool do that too um didn't matter to me uh but in the beginning at south and companies like we didn't have blenders you know so it was like three ice cubes Mm -hmm. or you know some people use like a pinch of ice and they just shake it until you can't hear the ice anymore Mm -hmm. um that's that is all up to the discretion of the bartender you know and and but uh this was like i think bomb had taught me that uh you use like a cup of crushed ice, you know, leveled off, boom, dump that in. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, at the Polynesian, anything that could make drinks faster, that's what we did. <laughs> you know, large bar. <laughs> we were rolling down a hill very fast, <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> cool. Any any breaks we could we could use, we did. All right, so I'm going to ask you to, yeah, just go through those specs again for us in the directions, as if you know you're, you know, this is the ultimate version. This is the way you would make it today with, you know. Uh, you have everything available to you, the choice. I can pass you the sheet of paper yeah, here with the no, recipe on it. I think now that we've talked about it, I think I actually remember it. My, All right. my old memory is kicking in. Uh, yeah, so three-quarter lime, three-quarter grapefruit, uh, dash of Angostura bitters, half an ounce of grenadine, half an ounce of, I think it's half, 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 isn't it? Half grenadine, half ginger, half St. Germain, uh, and continuing with the halves, uh, half the Greensmith Old Tom, half... Um, uh, 
Alan's uh, Perry's Todd. Perry's Todd, ounce of 47 and an ounce of uh, Miller's Westbourne strength. God, it's starting to make Phil was absolutely right when he made the old man Miller swizzle. And <laughs> I think had 32 ingredients in it, and one of it was in a bag hanging from a tree. Make sure the sunlight hits it right or something like that. Yeah, it's a complicated, it's it, it not a complicated drink, but it is a drink that a definitely has a lot, of, a lot of ingredients. But it's like you are building layers of flavor. Like that's kind of a key thing with tiki. It's like everyone makes a joke about it, but it's like the more you do it, the more you realize that like, oh, it needs a half an ounce of orgeat, not just a half an ounce of, or a teaspoon of orgeat and not like a teaspoon of demerara honey or something like that. Like the more you work with all these ingredients, the the more familiar you become with their magic and their power mm-hmm. and what they're, what they're, what, what these ingredients are good and, and how they excel, you know, uh, like human beings, it's like putting them in a position to succeed. You know, you want to put these ingredients in a position where they succeed. So you're going blender with that one? Cup of crushed ice blender? Yeah, man, my elbows are about to fall off my body. So yeah, <laughs> I can use a blender. <laughs> and what are you serving this in and with? Um, one of the cool things, like how I started, uh, when I pitched the idea to uh, my partners for um, for the Polynesian, I actually found, well, for anybody that remembers Tiki Mondays, I used to have a rum gun. And I found on Etsy... I found a Winchester. And so when I presented it to my partners, uh, then it was put, it was, I I put pebbles in the Winchester, (laughs) pebble ice in the Winchester, and then I funneled in the drink and then I garnished it with uh, a Union Jack flag. Um, that was that was how I was going to impress my partners into saying, yes, we should do this. Um, But when I did the drink, it was actually um, a mug that, Angus Winchester gave me uh, that was called, I think it's called the Britiki uh, mug and it's, it's, it's a tiki idol, but then it's the Union Jack shield on the side. And I was like, this is the perfect vessel for this drink. And at the time it was a limited edition that Angus gave me. I got like one of 50 and then there was a, a company from the UK uh, that, did the mug, like did it in a mass produce, uh, did a mass production of it, excuse me. And um, we got those for the Polynesian. And I was like, oh, this is great. I mean, it wasn't, it, you know, they would all be like one color. It was like, they'd all be green. I think is the ones we had the Polynesian. But the one that Angus gave me was like brown with a red, white, and hmm. blue Union Jack on the side. It was amazing. It's, it's one of my favorites. Of all the tiki mugs I gave away, uh, that's the one I kept. Imagining a different era when bars would commission custom, <laughs> almost almost custom, not, not custom glassware, but you know what I mean. Well, there's uh, still, he- yeah, I mean, the, days, my boys at Paradise Lost are doing yeah. some pretty amazing uh, custom tiki mugs there when that opens yeah. October 13th. Very nice, very nice, nice little plug. Garnish before we move on to final thoughts and the final questions to finish the episode. Yeah, I think when I served it at Death and Company, it was like one of those Pegu limes, you know, with the zester. And then I had like a cherry on it. And then uh, when I served it at the Polynesian, it was like two pineapple fronds and a large uh, like half wheel of... uh, Grapefruit. Grapefruit, yeah. I think now if I was going to do it again, I'd do the same thing I did at the Polynesian, but I think it would be a dehydrated grapefruit Mm -hmm. wedge. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big dehydrated fruit guy. Yeah, very sustainable. Love it. 
All right, then. Any final thoughts on the Winchester before we uh, proceed into our weekly questions? Um, no, man. I'm just, I'm, it's a little weird talking about my own drink because I, I was thinking about this as I was walking up here. I was like, I don't think I've tasted a Winchester since like a Tiki Monday. Like, I have not had that drink. Um, I don't usually drink my own drinks. I usually drink classics or something. I like ordered that. one at Death and Co. not too long ago. Really? They I mean, they weren't able to make it. It's it, it's very flattering that it's still out there in the ethos and like still exists. Um, that's really cool. I'm really glad. I mean, anything that I do, especially in the tiki world, like I'm always flattered when people like remember my drinks or like, wow, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, when we opened the Polynesian, uh, you know, somebody did an interview with me about it, and I was like, wow, that's really cool that you actually like this. But anyhow, um, it was just really nice, like. The people that like the drink, it's very flattering, you know. I mean, I had no idea it was going to be in Robert's book, but I'm glad it is, and I'm glad that Robert likes it. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's a cool thing. And, and every time it gets mentioned or gets talked about, it kind of gets a little rebirth. So that's nice, you know. It's nice that a guy like me gets to make a mark on the world. That's, that's pretty cool. It's fun. Yeah. And, you know, not that you would want to be quite so self-indulgent, but there's folks out there in Reddit sharing this recipe, hashing out the details, talking about this. The the, the the original commenter even had the opportunity to claim it as their own, and then they're like, no, this is Brian Miller, this is from so-and-so, and this is his time. So people out there Actually, I good believe the McGillicuddy people uh, have <laughs> state claim to the Winchester now. I will, I will see you in court, people. Yep. Maine spirits. You, it, Brian versus the state of Maine. I love Cranberry Island. I had a vacation out there once. It was fantastic. <laughs> but my drink does not have pumpkin spice, apple pie, Doctor Doctor Stoner's smoky herb (laughs) whiskey. whiskey. (laughs) Uh, Moving swiftly on, then, as we do, question number uh, sixteen for you here today. No, eleven. Are we numbering these things? Well, given that you've done one through ten before, Uh, you've uh, been Chamberlain. I didn't realize we were counting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Question number one and or eleven, depending on which way you 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 know how you want to identify that. Okay. Um, What's one cocktail that you think bartenders too often shy away from making because of its quote-unquote tricky preparation? I don't even know if I agree with the question um, because I don't think bartenders shy away from drinks based on it's tricky like or how difficult it is. And I'm saying this is an if, not an absolute. But if bartenders shy away from drinks, it's more because of their ego, not their talent. Like, they don't think the drink is worth making. Like, I've worked at at bars where they're like, I'm not making an amaretto sour. That's a bullshit drink. And I'm like, it's a fucking two-bottle pickup, man. Like, <laughs> cool. If it makes that person happy, that's your job. Your job is to make people happy. So and serve people. It's not it's not the serve me industry. It's the serve us industry, serving people. Maybe not shy away from what I meant more okay. is or people complain about. I'm thinking Ramos, oh, man. I'm thinking Mojito. Sure. Mojito, screw it. If you can't take pride in making a beautiful mojito, um, you shouldn't be behind a bar. You really shouldn't. I mean, you know considering the time we're in right now and uh, Murray Stenson, who just recently passed away from ZigZag in Seattle, Murray's mojitos were 
Mona Lisa's. They were Picasso's. Like my brother Kevin had a mojito from Murray once, and I think like he fell out of his bar stool watching Murray make it. Like when he got done, it was this beautiful thing, and he sprinkled just a little bit of powdered sugar on top of it, and. It was magical. Like, my brother Kevin was, like, texting me. He's like, oh, my God, I've never seen anybody work on a mojito like this. And then, like, a year later, my brother showed up at the at ZigZag again, and Murray was like, hey, Kevin, it's good to see you. Kevin was totally blown away that Murray even remembered him. And he's like, another mojito? And, <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, that's that's Murray Stenson. Like, you know, wow. um, we're, we're still dealing with his death right now. But, like, that man was far bigger than the last word. That man taught people how to actually be a bartender. Um, he's one of, he is the word legend. Like that's, I think that's a very apropos word for him. But, you know, the mojito is not a difficult drink to make. Um, yes, the Ramos is a pain in the ass. Sure, but it's a pain in the butt. But that drink can be made a lot. If there's a drink that I'm like, you got to be effing kidding me. The uh, Poos Cafe, mm, like, mm-hmm. and we would we would get we would get that at Death and Company, or excuse me, at Pegu Club, like once in a while, and it was fun. You know, it's it's like a kid with a new Christmas toy. It's like, oh my god, let's try to layer this. And this we is layer, the layered, it, you drink, know, right? the layered drink that's like eight ingredients, and it's our. I think there's a couple of different variants you can do with it, but that was really hard. But that was a drink that was like, if you did it. It would take time. Like, if somebody ordered that drink in the middle of a Friday night, take all the sharp objects away from me. Like, I would be ready to murder somebody. But if it was, like, a slow, like, Tuesday night at Pegu Club and we're just, like, hanging out, me and Jimmy Han are, like, hanging out, it's like, okay, cool, let's do mm-hmm. a Boost Cafe. That would be kind of fun. You know, I, I think when it comes to, like, what drinks bartenders don't want to make, time of night. Like, it's de- really. dependent. All right, question number two for you here today. Which cocktail creation or riff are you most proud of from your career up to this point? Wow. Of my, uh, of drinks that I quote unquote created. I think it's like things that like, it's the ones that people don't really remember or like the, 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 the smaller drinks. Okay, man. Um, Elvis is dead. I made a drink with fucking peanut butter in it. I mean, I, I'll pat myself on the back for that. Like no one was doing peanut. There was no peanut butter whiskey or anything like no, that. Screwball. Like. And I and I liked it too because the peanut butter it was a coconut peanut butter creamy coconut peanut butter that I found in Hawaii. So to put that on the menu and to have Danny Gallardo like help me create a mug that represented Hawaii, you know, it ended up being a uh, you know a Kamehameha like a tiki Kamehameha profile mug with the Hawaiian Islands on the back. It was orange, yellow, and red. That was a drink that kind of like. It was all things like Hawaii that were in it, and that was kind of important to me. Um, and the peanut butter company was amazing. I couldn't believe it. I found it. I found it in like a market, an open air market when I was in um, Honolulu, and uh, I sat on it for years. So I was like, hmm. I'm going to make a syrup out of this, and it's cool. You know, Elvis is dead. It was <laughs> peanut butter, bourbon, and banana and rum. You know, and it was like friends of mine that, that had it be like. I don't know how you did this, mm-hmm. but it's great. And that's that. That's fun. When you take something that people don't think can actually happen. I don't know that I have a favorite, but that one's that, that one kind of like, I'm a little proud of it. Give myself a little pat on the back for that one. <laughs> All right, question number three now. What's the secret to a brilliant bar playlist or soundtrack? God, this is going to start a war. Um, 
One of the things I liked about Tiki Mondays that was kind of a surprising thing was that people liked the playlists that I would do. And I would, I, I honestly would agonize over those. It would be something where I'd work on the playlist and then the day of Tiki Monday, I would get up at like six o'clock in the morning and I would start going through the list to just make sure that I had everything right. So it depends on where you're at. It depends on what the vibe of the bar is. Now, there were times when I would come into pouring ribbons like the day before, like on a Sunday night and like be doing prep. And uh, I remember one time specifically I came in and Chelsea Kaiser was like kind of managing or like in control of the music that night. And they were playing Springsteen's Nebraska, which as a Springsteen fan, I absolutely love. Would I play it in a bar? Never. <laughs> like, it's it's too quiet. It's too longing. Um, I think a key to a good playlist is playing things that people recognize. I think people just want, they want to feel connected to the music. I think there's always, like, throwing a speed bump in there, something that is maybe you like, that other people know, but maybe the majority don't know. I used to get all the time people at Tiki Mondays was like, play London Calling, play London Calling. And I was like, it's on the playlist. The playlist is nine hours long, so I don't know where it is on the playlist, but it's it's on there. Um, speaking of like for Tiki Mondays, like it was about fun. Like I'm 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 starting to work on a new Tiki Monday playlist. And in my old age, I'm... I'm a disco and funk kind of guy. Like, <laughs> I just think that, I think that music is fun. Um, I love 70s music. Um, Great genre as well for songs that people know, but they don't know why they know it, perhaps, right? Yeah. Like, if that's not your genre, or like, you've heard it in movies, or you're like, I love this song. Right. I would never play it on Spotify because I don't know what it's called, right? I think in general, no matter where, no, no matter what kind of bar it is, no matter what the scene is, you need to play things that people kind of recognize so they feel connected, so they feel comfortable. So like if they're sitting there and like they're talking, they're either on a date or they're talking with their friends. I mean, how many times have you been in a bar and you're like, mm-hmm, blah, 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 blah. I fucking love this song. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, I remember that. It's like uh, in High Fidelity when Rob like goes, I'm going to sell five copies of the beta band right now. And he puts on, you know, it's in the rain or whatever. It's like puts on that song. And people are like, wow, man, this is really good. And he's like, I know. And like, <laughs> I, I like being that guy. I like mm -hmm. being Rob behind mm -hmm. the bar and be like, I know. Mm -hmm. That's great. Um, you know, you just want everybody to feel connected to the music and, and, and want that in, you know. And, and then there are times like, you know, I always thought a great jukebox was the Corner Bistro. I thought the Corner Bistro, and I was like, ah, cool. And like for me, the song that I really love that I could play at the Corner Bistro all the time was like One by Johnny Cash, not You Too. Like I was like, cool, mm -hmm. give me a McSorley's, let me hear One in the background with Johnny Cash. Like I felt good. And it's like, that's what people want. You know, they just want to feel connected. Fantastic. All right, penultimate question for you here today. If you could work one shift at any bar in the world, past, present, oh, fictional, man. or real, what would it be and why? Ooh, baby. We talked about this last night. This was, this is a real tough one. I think the three that I would put out there, one that actually really exists, uh, would be Zigzag. The bar, uh, yeah, actually, they do have two people sometimes behind that bar. I mean, I've always been there when it was just Murray. Uh, but yeah, like on a weekend, it would be cool if I was just 
rocking out service and Murray was taking care of the bar, that would be dope. Like mm-hmm. that would be that would be <laughs> that would be really fun. Um, if I got a chance just to be there by myself, uh, that would be great too. Because Ben Doherty is 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 a good friend and one of those people I would call my uh, a mentor to me. Um, so it would be it w- it would be an honor to work for him. And then you know, I mean, just because of who I am, I was like, dude, it's on the beachcomber, man. Like, and and I would want to work at McCadden place like his very first place like i'd want to be one of those guys just behind the bar don can do his he can be the peacock and spread his wings and stuff like that but like if i'm back there with the the filipinos and like rocking out cocktails that would that would mean a lot to me Mm -hmm. that 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 would just to be in his presence would be an honor and then just for absolute like resume check rock and roll totally cool absolutely the fucking Viper Room, like to work for Johnny Depp and be like, oh, yeah, cool, man. I bartended at the Viper Room, you know. Um, I just think that's very rock and roll, and I would totally have enjoyed that. I would love to be able to put on my references, Johnny Depp, Viper Room. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that that would be a dream come true for me. Still waiting to make him a daiquiri one day with, with Havana Club. We'll see. We'll see. Preferably on his yacht somewhere in the Caribbean by his island. Polarizing character. We don't cast judgment here on this show. That's all I'll say. Sure. Um, Final question for you today. If you could change one aspect of the modern bar industry, what would it be? I'm still going to stand by my answer from years ago. Uh, Ego. I really do think that, like, it's the service industry. We are here to take care of people. You know, Sasha Petrosky said, he goes, you know, not everybody can do it. Not everybody can humble themselves to take care of another human being. That's a skill. And I think the truly masterful people in this industry that are bartenders, that really take care of people, and there's hundreds of thousands of them out there, and a lot of them go completely unnoticed by everyone except for their regulars that truly love them and like come into a bar just to see that person and it's not about the drinks. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's like, I used to tell, you know, I tell this to bartenders that I train. I was like, you know what you don't see is you don't see doctors high-fiving one another after a successful surgery. Why? Because that's their fucking job. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be, you're supposed to make great drinks. You don't get extra credit for that. Like that's, that's the minimum level of expectation from a bartender is like making great drinks. You're supposed to make great drinks. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to take pride in them. You're supposed to actually like care about your customers and want to give them the best possible service. And and, then, oh, I don't like this drink. Dude, I just spent seven months making freaking Amaretto Sours and Adios MFers. I didn't want to do that, but the people there wanted it and they loved it. So that's it, you know? Some of the best compliments I've gotten from people have been like, I was in a bad mood when I came in this bar, but I feel so much better now. Like, that's when I'm like, cool, I'm done. Everybody get out. I've I've done my job. Like, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, taking your ego out and like, oh, I've created this and I got unicorn tears and raccoon tails in this cocktail. It's like, who gives a shit, dude? Can you... How's your bedside manner? Yeah, how's your bedside manner? But, like, can you make a basic drink, you know? I remember 
Toby Chikini used to say to me, he's like, yeah, it's great. You guys do all this crazy shit at Death and Company. But he's like, can you make a good Negroni? I was like, yeah, man, sometimes that's all people need. But then there's times when like somebody's hurting and they don't know who to talk to and they need somebody who's not going to judge them, you know, even as well as you know them. They're just going to be like, cool, I need someone to talk to. And it's like, okay, cool. Like sometimes that takes time. And you got to put your ego aside and you got to like, you know, as Dale says, like sometimes people need a little, sometimes they need a lot. Okay, cool. Do you need a tequila pineapple? Is that going to make you feel better? Happy to make that. Do you want an aviation? Do you want, you know, a three rum daiquiri? Do you want a zombie? Cool. I'll do that too. Even if the ingredients aren't readily available for me, it's like, cool, I'll make Don's mix right now just to make you feel better. Like that's a bartender to me. Nice. Well, Brian Miller, that was the three-peat. That was the Winchester. It was the double-barrel Winchester. And you know what? I think it could be worse. I think, you know, we mentioned it's cold here. There's not a lot to look forward to. But, you know, it could be worse. You could be a Jets fan and Zach Wilson could be your quarterback. And that's, that is it. And that is always going to be... The Jets are always going to be there. Brian. That's not true, Jets fans. Don't give up. <laughs> Maybe give up on Zach Wilson. but I, I still believe in the kids. I, there's something about this kid I like him I think he's got something about him hey man that guy has like humbled himself and like you know you listen to Aaron Rodgers who I haven't always been a fan of but like he was like this kid like he gave me his job you know he let me come in and take over his job but the kid was like really nice to him and I think he's learned and uh, I don't know I, I don't have this the, ain't a football podcast I don't have, I don't have the answers for the Jets <laughs> except for maybe a fucking Winchester <laughs> will help you guys I don't Winchester. know Brian Miller Thanks again. We'll see you in a year for quadruple. Cheers. Thank you for having me, Tim. I'll see you in Puerto Rico, baby. (laughs) In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Okay, I know what you're thinking, folks. That was a lot of info. But here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is published on vinepair.com as a transcript. So you can check it out there all over again. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe. And please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seasai, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen, folks. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Grinberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.